Our third scripture lesson this morning comes from the letter of 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 through 19. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil, and in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, a man of God, shun all this, pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith, take hold of the eternal life, to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Jesus Christ who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession, I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Jesus Christ, which he will bring about at the right time, he who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords. It is he alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see. To him be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God, who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. The word of God for the people of God. Thanks be to God. Author of life, we thank you for your words. And we ask that as we reflect upon them this morning, your spirit would be with us so that we might be transformed in heart, mind, and soul. Amen. So you know that old wisdom that says that there are three things you don't talk about in public or even at the Thanksgiving table, money, politics, and religion? Well, clearly that wasn't a wisdom that was taught to the author of 1 Timothy because in today's reading, we started with money and then we moved on to politics. And of course, both of these were done in the context of the practice of religion. And Jesus apparently never got this message either because more of his teachings are about money than anything else. Last week, we heard him proclaim that a person cannot serve wealth and God, that it's impossible to serve two masters. Today, we heard him tell a parable about a poor man named Lazarus who was carried away by angels after his death. 
while the rich man is tormented in the fires of Hades because he received all the reward that he would get in this lifetime. And nearly everything that Jesus says has a political component to it, from the proclamation of the kingdom of heaven to his teachings that were to feed the hungry and welcome the stranger, to his insistence on nonviolence, even as he's being marched to a state-ordered execution. And clearly the prophets had never heard this lesson either. Today we heard from Jeremiah that the Lord was going to hand Jerusalem to the Babylonians. And we heard about a real estate deal that Jeremiah makes with his cousin Hanamel. And if we were to keep reading, we would see that Jeremiah's warnings about the destruction of Israel stem from the rebellion of the people against the laws of God. And that the real estate deal is a symbolic action that at one day in the future, long after the sinful generation has been destroyed, the people will once again remember their covenant with God and be restored to the land. And Jeremiah is not an outlier among the prophets, because here's the thing about the prophets. They're not a group of people who are distinguished by some magical ability to see the future. They're people who see the reality of the world as it is. They're people who see that the violent, selfish actions of those around them will have disastrous consequences. And so they speak truth to power and call the people away from their idolatry and back to the laws of God. And I've said it so much that I start to feel like a broken record, but just a reminder that when Christ summarized the law of God, it was to love God and to love our neighbor. So when we look at today's reading from 1 Timothy, we can see how the author is clearly in line with the scope and tenor of the rest of the gospel. For him to proclaim that the love of money is a root of all kinds of evil is not some novel observation. It's a teaching as old as the people of God. For him to proclaim that our Lord Jesus Christ is the only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, is consistent with all the teachings that go before him. And in order for us to have a better grasp of what this means for us, I want us to think about the vows that we swear when we enter into the church at our baptism. The first question put to someone entering into the body of Christ is, do you renounce the spiritual forces of wickedness, reject the evil powers of this world, and repent of your sin? So obviously there are three parts to this question. First, there's a rejection of wicked spiritual forces. In other words, we recognize that there are supernatural forces at work in creation that would tempt us away from following the laws of God, but that we are making the vow that we will not accept these forces as our master. Second, there's a rejection of the evil powers of this world. Just as we recognize the supernatural forces of wickedness, we also recognize that those forces manifest themselves in physical ways. The author of Ephesians gives us the language of powers and principalities to speak about these manifestations. Those who have not renounced the spiritual forces of wickedness or who have backslid become channels through which wicked forces work against the kingdom of heaven. 
And we'll see in just a second why this rejection is so important. Third, there's the repentance of sin. This is simply an acknowledgement that in the past, we had been subject to the powers of wicked forces and that we had been complicit in the manifestation of those forces in the world. Which brings us to the next question faced by someone entering into baptism. Do you accept the freedom and power God gives you to resist evil, injustice, and oppression in whatever forms they present themselves? I said, why we would, I said we would get to why it's so important to reject the evil powers of this world, and here it is. In order to reject the evil powers, we are called to a life of action and resistance. We are to push back against evil. We are to push back against injustice. We are to push back against oppression. Not just when it's convenient with us, for us or when someone that we disagree with is guilty, but in whatever form those things take. And this makes our life a heck of a lot harder, especially as we start to realize that the groups that we're a part of are guilty too. But that's what our repentance was about. It was about saying that the way that we did things and the groups that we were a part of were under the sway of spiritual forces. So it's a good thing that we don't have to fight this fight on our own. We vow that we will resist using the freedom and the power that God has given us. When we are on the side of justice and the resistance of oppression, we are not merely engaged in human activity. We are empowered by the grace of God. That is to say, by God's power and presence acting through us. Finally, we ask of those who are baptized. Do you confess Jesus Christ as your Savior, put your whole trust in his grace, and promise to serve him as your Lord in union with the church which Christ has opened to people of all ages, nations, and races? And it's upon answering this question that Christians make perhaps the most radically political vow of all. Our salvation is not to be found in any power of this world other than God. There is no government, no political system, no economic system, no weapon, no denomination, no anything that will save us other than God. Furthermore, we vow that we will serve God as our Lord. And when we do that, our allegiance to the world has suddenly become radically different. The one being whom we serve above all others is the Lord God, the only sovereign, the King of kings, the Lord of lords. We are, all of us, upon making this vow, resident aliens to this world. We are subjects of the kingdom of God, living for a brief time in nations other than our own. This is precisely what Paul means when he writes to the Galatians that we are no longer Jew or Greek once we clothe ourselves in Christ through baptism. We become one people, united under our Lord. The Reverend Hoyt Hickman is the Methodist authority on worship, and he sums up this idea quite eloquently by writing, it is one of the oldest and most universal Christian understandings of worship that when we gather around the Lord's table for worship, 
The gathering consists not only of God and the visible congregation, but also includes, even though invisibly, the whole universal church of all times and all places in heaven and on earth. Even if everyone visibly present is an American citizen, most of those invisibly present are not. As the church, we are never simply the body of believers gathered in visible present form. As we take communion every month, we embody this truth when we join with all God's people on earth and all the company of heaven in praising God's name and joining the unending hymn, Holy, Holy, Holy Lord, God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. The bottom line to all of this is that there is no such thing as an apolitical gospel. When you get down to it, nothing is apolitical. Politics is so often reduced to electoral politics but at the root of the word is the understanding that politics is the engagement in the life of the polis, meaning the city. Every action that we take affects our city, our community, in one way or another. There is no way for our lives to not be political. If the gospel did not live within this reality, it would be nothing more than false hope, nothing more than an illusion to numb us to the world. So if someone tells you that their gospel is not political, that's because their version of the gospel sees the status quo as normal, while any other perspective is political. But as we've just seen, our baptism does not call us to defend the status quo. The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ is a gospel that is partisan. It demands us to take a side. It demands that we take a stand for justice. It demands that we speak against oppression. It demands that we resist the forces of evil in every form that, that, that it takes, whether that's from our own political party, from our own church, from our economic systems, from corporations, or from ideologies. And this is not a question of left-wing or right-wing. It's a question of radical devotion to a master that stands outside our institutions. In this time of extreme polarization, the only hope rests in Jesus Christ. As we are asked to move further and further to different extremes, we are called to stand resolute in the gospel. It's a difficult call. It is a call that will pit us against everyone on every side but it's an exciting call too. It's a chance to fight the good fight of the faith in service to the one who alone has eternal honor and dominion. So if you have heard the call of the gospel upon your life and you are ready to accept the challenge and privilege of serving the King of Kings and Lord of Lords, then I hope that I will see you this Wednesday at our membership class. And if you've already accepted the call of Jesus on your life, then I encourage you to continue the good fight. Continue to renounce the forces of wickedness. Continue to resist evil, injustice, and oppression. And continue to serve Jesus Christ 
as your only sovereign. For as we will sing in just a few moments, the strife will not be long. This day, the noise of battle. The next, the victor's song. Amen. Would you please pray with me? King of kings, Lord of lords, only sovereign, create in us hearts of service and obedience. Let us renounce all the powers of this world. Let us reject their claims upon our bodies and our souls. You alone are our salvation. You alone are worthy of our love and praise. You alone will be the redemption of all creation. Amen. <laughs>